want to welcome you here in person and live stream. We're so glad that you're with us today. And uh, I want to just make a few announcements. I hate to make announcements. Actually, we just had a bunch, but uh, we're beginning a brand new season of time here. How many appreciate that the premier made the house of worship an exemption for all the masking? So that was great. Well, he did and the AHS did, so I'm extremely thankful for that. But we have a free pancake breakfast. We do have COVID protocols. We're treating the cafeteria area kind of like a restaurant. So uh, that means you got to put a mask on when you're getting your food, but you can take it off when you eat your food. How's that? We just want to, uh, we don't want to be irresponsible, but we're so thankful that we have this freedom to worship God in the house of the Lord the way we do. So we're grateful for that. I want to mention also David McFarland. He will be with us uh, two Sundays from today, and he's going to be doing a seminar on the Saturday from 9.30 to 11.30. There is no cost. And he's going to be just talking because, you know, he worked at Billy Graham Association. I think that name is quite familiar to most of us. And uh, David McFarland is a phenomenal disciple maker and evangelist. He's going to share some really creative ways how we can share the good news of Jesus with people that we may have a hard time talking to. So he's going to give us some great insights on that. And he's called Fresh Ideas for Reaching Out. And then we also, you'll notice in the foyer, we have an opportunity to pray most of us are aware there's a federal election coming on September 20th. I believe that our responsibility is twofold. One, we need to pray for those in authority. And number two, in a democratic society, we have the freedom and the right and the privilege to vote. And so I'm going to encourage you to take that uh, responsibility seriously and both do those things, praying and voting. And then... Uh, I want to also mention that Lila Merchant, who passed away in 2020, she's going to now have a memorial service this Friday at 1 o'clock. So if you'd like to celebrate her life, that would be a great day to do it. Some of her family now are free to fly in from the United States and join us in person here for the service. So I'm going to have you stand this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, one of the things I want to pray about this morning is we have a big beginning of a brand new year for all the students. How many students probably need a little prayer this year while they're going to school? I think they do. So we're going to pray for them this morning. How many think that's a good idea? We're going to pray for all the students, and they're not going to get sick, and they're going to do good in their studies. I want to pray for all the teachers. How many know teachers? That's a challenging vocation. Yeah, if you're, if you're a teacher, you, we're going to pray for you this morning. I want to pray for those in the medical field today. I mean, they're the frontline workers. You know, COVID has not gone away. It's still here. We see it escalating in numbers. It puts a lot of strain on our uh, medical staff. So let's pray for them today. And then we want to pray for families. We have a number of families that have COVID in our church. So I want to pray for them today. And there's many of you here. How many here have a need in your life? Well, just an upstretched hand. Say, I want to just bring this need before God today. So Lord, I thank you this morning. You are so good, gracious, kind, and understanding. And I do pray today for all the kids going, that are at school now. They've gone back. I pray for this year that you'd protect them. I pray that this would be a great year to learn. I pray that you'd give them wisdom and an understanding heart, help them to learn how to read, how to study, uh, learn their uh, math, all those good things that we need to learn to be successful in this life. Help them, Lord, with those skills. And I pray for the teachers, that you'd be with them, that you'd give them wisdom and strength. Help them, Lord, to teach well. 
And I pray this would be a great year for both teacher and students, Lord. I pray for those that are serving us in the medical field with all the challenges. And this is uh, pandemic has continued on now for well over a year and a half, Father. So we just pray for them as there's uh, lots of challenges there. We just ask that you would help them. And Lord, I just want to pray for those in leadership. I know a lot of people are not even re- rerunning. Uh, it's just taking its toll. When you're in the middle of a challenging time, leaders uh, struggle as well as people. And so I just pray for those in leadership today. I pray for our election that's coming up here in a few weeks. I pray that you would guide us as a nation. I pray that you would give us grace and favor and blessing, Lord. I pray that you'd help our land, Lord, turn their eyes to you, Father. And I thank you that I believe that you are allowing things to happen so that we will do that, that our focus and our attention will be upon you, Father. And I just pray to that end as well. And I pray for those that are afflicted in body. I pray for those that have uh, challenges that are with an uplifted hand and said, Lord, would you remember me? This is my need at this moment in my life. I pray that you would hear every cry of every heart in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I'm going to have you turn in your Bibles to uh, the second book of Peter. We, went, we did First Peter, finished it. Now we're going to go to do the last Three little chapters of Second Peter. There's a lot of good stuff there. We're going to continue with Peter. And I've entitled the sermon, Standing When Everything is Shaking. How many say this might be an appropriate topic? It just seems like there's so much going on in our world today. And as believers, we got, you know, people all over the map. They have all kinds of ideas. There, there's no end to ideas. How many know that? No end to information. But I want to take a look at how can we get to that place where we're walking with joy, that we're walking in peace, that we're exhibiting Christ's love to society, and that you and I are not falling apart in a time of testing, in a time of crisis, in a time where everything is being shaken. I think what often trips us up in life is not so much the problems. We think that's what the problem is, but it isn't. It's not the problem per se. It's our inability to handle those problems. It's our lack of right perception of what's going on and our focus. And I think if anyone understood this as a close follower of Jesus, it happened to be Peter. I mean, Peter's a guy that, you know, you have to love him. I mean, he's the guy that sticks his neck out. Uh, He's the guy that's out of the boat and walking on water, but then pretty soon he's sinking, right? And he's the guy that at the the upper room, he says to Jesus, while Jesus tells him, everyone's going to forsake him in this crisis moment, Peter goes, well, not me, Lord. I'm going to just let you know the other guys in the room might let you down, but I'm going to handle this. And we know what happens there. I mean, Peter really messes up big time. And so I think if anybody can tell us and teach us how to stand, it's a person who fell, got back up, and now has learned through experience what it takes to stand. And I think we need to learn from Peter. I think we need to learn what he's about to tell us in this epistle. And we're going to be looking at here in the weeks to come. I believe that Peter is conveying something that is critical for our spiritual growth and our development. And to help us in a, a very difficult time. Now, in the book of Hebrews, there's a very interesting little few verses at the end of chapter 12. And in Hebrews, it says it this way. Verse 26, at that time, his voice shook the earth. Now, he's writing about a moment in history when God 
came down to Mount Sinai. Remember when Moses went up and got the law? And God wanted to talk to his people. When God came down to the mountain, the mountain began to rumble. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around those kind of natural situations. Have you ever been near a volcano? Uh, most of us say hard pass, right? I remember driving back from Spokane to Seattle on Mount St. Helen, Bluer Lid. And I'm going to tell you, it was a pretty eerie experience. And the catastrophe and the transformation that happened in the landscape when you have a mountain losing it. So as you can imagine, God stepping down on earth, steps on Mount Sinai. The mountain is shaking. How many have ever been in an earthquake where the, the ground beneath you is moving? It's pretty unsettling. And so these guys were terrified. How many can blame people for being terrified by that kind of an experience? And so it says, at that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken. So what really can be shaken in our worlds? And then he tells us here, that is created things. So everything you and I see can be shaken. That's pretty intense, isn't it? In other words, everything that you and I are putting our hope in, or living, and are enjoying, these things can all be shaken. How many have kind of figured that out now? Things are really being shaken right now. Things are really changing right now. As a matter of fact, we're kind of looking for some solid place to put our feet down and so that we just don't come unglued when everything around us is kind of coming unglued on us. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. So what is it that's going to endure? What is it that can never be shaken? Where's that safe place that I can stand and have absolute confidence that, you know, it's not going to fall apart on me? As a matter of fact, I, I think we struggle with change. We'll see here, it says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So he's telling us now, what is it that will never be shaken? What is it? The kingdom of God. It's spiritual in nature. It's eternal in nature. That will never change. There's some things that will never change. God will never change. That's powerful. He changes not. He's immutable. He never has to change because he's perfect. But you know, all of us in this room are going to change. Some of you may not think so, but I, especially when you're young, you know, you think you're going to live forever. But let me just kind of give you a heads up. I'm a little older than some of you. And you know, you look at me right now and you go, man, he's just an old guy. But can I tell you, in my mind, I'm not an old guy. You know, that's the truth. And I remember when I, we were on our 25th wedding anniversary. We, you know, when we were married, we were in Bible college. We had a very short window of time. We had a little honeymoon. But, you know, now we were going to really do it upright. 25 years of marriage. And so I took Patty to the Mayan Riviera. Doesn't that sound neat? It was just such a neat week. But, you know, we were out there. And you know when you get to these resorts, they always do fun things. So, you know, the first day I'm out there, and, and they got volleyball, beach volleyball. They got all these things going on. And if some of you know me, I'm extremely competitive. And I'm out there, and, you know, I am not 20 years old. But my, my mind, you know, like in your mind, you, you just don't think that you, you're, you're ever getting old. 
So I'm out there. The first day was amazing. I mean, I went at it as if I was 20 years old. And the next day, they all wanted me to play with them again. Everybody on the beach, hey, come on, Paul, come and join us, you know. And I, I looked at them and I said, hard pass today. Because you see, my mind was willing, but my body couldn't handle it. It was, it was not used to that intensity that I made my body do because, you know, my mind said, you can do this. And my body says, we have not done this for a long time. <laughs> right? Oh, I almost killed myself is what happens. I just said, don't, don't do this. So I just, I had to settle down and be a little more mellow the next day. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. So let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. You know, if you want to find a place to stand, we stand in this wonderful kingdom. So all of us, I know we struggle with change. And don't tell me you, you don't struggle with change. How many, you know, you get an amazing moment in life. You just want to camp there. You just want to hit the stop button. Anybody have those moments in life where life is so good, let's just hit the stop button. Stay here, camp here. We're like Peter, James, and John in the Mount of Transfiguration. This is awesome. We're having a moment, right? Hit stop. And then there's other moments in life where you're going, hit go, hit go, let's keep moving, move, move. This is really not so good. I want us to move past this season. Aren't you glad everything just keeps moving sometimes? And especially in those moments, you go, this too shall pass, Right? But we need to understand something. Life is changing. You know, and, and, and I always love the people that talk to me about the good old days. Do you know we have selective memory? It's never as good as what they make you th think it was. They just forget all the bad stuff because that's how part of being a human being is. There's some things you just filter out of your mind. You just remember the good moments. And then you forget all the in-between stuff. And there were times back then that you were frustrated and uptight and all the rest of it. Only God's kingdom stands when all is said and done. And you know, one of the great tragedies in life is we spend so much energy focusing on that which is going to pass away. How many say that's probably true? We give all of our time and energy on this life as if that's all there is. But can I tell you, there's something awaiting us. If you're a child of the living God, you have something awaiting you that's so glorious that you and I are not just living for this life. We're living for eternity, something that cannot change. It's amazing what God has in store. And so I keep saying to myself, it's going to get better. See, every one of you needs to tell yourself, it's going to get really good. It's going to get so good one time that there'll be no more problems. Anybody like that? No more problems? How many are up for no more problems? I'm up for that. How many are up for no more aches and pains? Anybody up for that? You know, I'm just telling you, it's going to really get good. So we need to sometimes get our focus on things ahead, things above, things that are eternal, not just focusing in on the situations at hand here. So in this day of constant shaking, where should our confidence be placed? And how can we stand in that changing circumstances that are swirling around us all the time? And how many have ever discovered that when problems come, they just never come to the degree that you can handle them. It, it almost feels overwhelming. You know, if you could get them like one after another, you might be able to handle it. But sometimes they just come in fours and fives. 
And you go, is there an end to this stuff? And it just seems to be coming so fast you can hardly keep up with it. It's overwhelming. And I believe that God allows these moments in our lives so that there's a sentence of death inside of ourselves. So we no longer rely upon ourselves. We'll be, begin to look up and begin to say, God, I can't cut this. I can't make it anymore. I can't rely on myself. God says, good. I want you to rely on me. I want you to trust me. I want you to see what I'm about to do. So Peter now is going to learn from his failure how to stand. And I like learning from people that have experience. You know, we're not just talking about someone who says, this is what I've heard or this is what I think. No, this is what I've experienced. I've lived through this stuff. Peter knew how critical our thought life really is because what we believe shapes how we're going to respond what is before us. You know, everybody's experiencing similar things in life. And people are handling it all differently. How many have figured that out now? There are people experiencing similar things, but they're handling it totally differently. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because of what's going on in our mind. That's where the real battle is being fought. And what we think and how we perceive and how we think about who God is and what God is like and our experiences with God shapes our behavior. It shapes our priorities. It shapes the direction of our lives. So when Jesus told Peter he was going to be sifted as wheat and all the disciples would forsake him, you know, Peter said, not me. And that tells me that Peter saw himself differently than how Jesus saw him. And I'm going to just say this to us today, that you and I see ourselves in a certain light. Now, some of you see yourselves less than what you really are. You kind of depreciate yourself. And that's sad. And then there's some in the room, you have a better sense of who you are than what you really are. And I hate to pop your bubble, but that's going to burst one moment. You're going to come crashing down because you're not probably as good as you think you are. Peter was one of those guys. He thought, hey, I know I can, I can do these things. And then he failed. And now he's older and he's a little more humble. He's a lot wiser, right? He's learned some things from his mistake, his failure in his life. And so P Jesus knew that Peter had some weaknesses that would call, cause him to fall. He saw that in his life. Can I tell you that Jesus loved Peter even though he knew that he had those issues inside of him? Can I just say this about you and me? God loves you even though he knows you've got issues. Why don't you say that to yourself? God loves me even though he knows I have issues. Isn't that a great thought? Isn't he amazing? It's great. You know, he also realized that Peter was about to enter the process of being humbled. By the way, God will humble us. If we don't humble ourselves, God says, no problem, I'll humble, I'll, I'll fix that. You will become humbled by God. And, you know, we all have that experience in life somewhere down the line. We all have what I call a Jacob experience when he's wrestling with God at the place called Peniel. And when he gets done wrestling with God, what we notice is, Jacob becomes a new man. First of all, he prevails in his prayer with the man he's wrestling, which happens to be God. God changes his name from Jacob to Israel. He says, you're going to be a prince among men, and you're going to have authority with God. So something powerful happened there. But when he walked away, he walked with a limp. There was a sense that he recognized 
that he was weaker than when he had gone in because he had thought of himself a certain way, but God shaped something in his life. And God will do that in all of our lives. He will bring us down a peg or two real quick. And it changes our approach to God. You know, when you and I have been humbled by God, I believe that we have a more healthy approach understanding of who we are. Peter certainly didn't have the right understanding, but when he gets through this experience of denying Jesus three times and then Jesus restores him, Peter is now wiser, humbler, and stronger because what he's about to experience in the future is gonna be far more difficult. Why? Because you know, Jesus is gonna choose Peter to be a leader in his early church with James and Paul and some of the other apostles, right? And so the pressure on Peter is going to be phenomenally great in the days ahead. And so Peter needed to, you know, to be strong enough to handle it, had to be brought down. In God's kingdom, the way up is actually the way down. Totally different approach. In the second letter, Peter's concerned about something that we rarely talk about anymore. It's called false teaching. And I was reading a book by... Alicia Childers called Another Gospel, and she points out there's 22 New Testament letters out of the 27 deal with false teaching. So false teaching is a big issue. And you go, why is it such a big issue? Because if you and I have a distorted understanding as to the nature of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, and we have a wrong understanding of what salvation is all about, it affects how we live our lives. And so the enemy doesn't, you know, come you know, blatantly just denying the whole thing, he comes along and distorts the picture. And how many know that's what an astigmatism is? It's just enough of a distortion that you can't see clearly. And so you're, you need glasses to fix that astigmatism in your eyes. That's why you have glasses, to fix that problem so you can now see clearly. And God wants us to see clearly who he is and this is what's going to help us stand in the days to come because when we don't have a correct understanding of who God is and we don't have a correct understanding of who we are, we're bound to get into trouble. And Peter wants to help us with that. So we need uh, a firm foundation so that we'll not be tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine. I'm actually quoting from Ephesians chapter 4 here. It actually says that. You know, part of being a, a new believer or an underdeveloped believer, or an immature believer, is that we're not that mature, we're not that strong. We, we get bounced around, we get tossed back and forth by all kinds of, I, I added this. You go, you're adding to scripture, Pastor. No, I think I'm applying this. All the spurious information. And how many know today, there, we are inundated with information. Anybody understand, this is now the information age. How many know that's true? And we are so bombarded with information but I'm gonna make a statement that you need to hear very clearly. Most of it is got problems. It's not the full truth. You need to hear that. You go, how do you know that? Because a lot of times, you know, one of the things you learn over, the, over studying like I have, I've got a, a number of postgraduate degrees, what you learn is people who are quoting somebody many times are actually changing the meaning of what they're saying either intentionally or unintentionally. It's very interesting. And it happens all the time. And so a lot of our information, where we, we speak as if we've got this knowledge, but it's only partial. We all see through a glass darkly. Our knowledge is not pure. It's not, the only place that you can feel absolutely secure is in the scripture. 
is in the word of God. That's pure truth. The person of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's pure truth. But all the other stuff we're getting, it's contaminated. It's not 100% pure. And so you and I are making decisions based on this information. Now, I'm not, I'm not here to chide us. I'm just trying to caution us a little bit before we come running off because I've just read the latest this or that or this information or that. A lot of this information, not even intending, many times is wrong. And you know, what happens too is we can even come to the scriptures which are pure and we can distort them because we're, our ability to interpret them are not very good. We can have pure interpretive difficulties. We won't have good skills at that. And that happens over time. As a matter of fact, in the book of Hebrews, it says one of the things about being a mature believer is you have the ability to distinguish between what is good and what is not good. That ability to distinguish is a sign of maturity, and it takes time to develop this maturity. It doesn't happen overnight. You know, I've been a Christian a long time. I'm still fine-tuning my understanding as to the nature of God over time. I was even reading the other day, working on this course on the spirit of truth and error, and I got corrected. And I went, wow, I've been saying that, and that was not quite exactly the way I should have said it. I need to tweak that, because that's not quite right. So, you know, nobody's perfect here, folks. And so the moment you think, well, I've got all the handle on all the truth, you're in a dangerous place. You're ready and susceptible to failure. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on, and I, and I wrote it this way. It says, you know, this stuff can lead us away from what the Apostle Paul calls the most excellent way of love. Now, I want you to think about what Paul says about love. You know, we like those, that, you know, we reserve 1 Corinthians 13 to nice wedding ceremonies. But I want to just pull, it, pull us back there for a minute and see what he's talking about God's love. And, he, and Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, he says, even if you know all mysteries and you have a faith that can move mountains and you've given everything away to the poor and you, you're willing to let your life be laid down as a martyr, but if love is not the central principle of your soul, you've gained nothing. You see, you need to understand that beginning this journey with God called faith needs to end at a certain destination. You know what that destination is? Faith needs to work itself out in love. In other words, as I mature with God, what I should be becoming is more loving. So if I look at my life right now and I say to myself, you know, when I'm in a crisis or I'm in a situation, if I'm not becoming more loving, if I'm not more compassionate, more understanding, more patient, more, self, more self-control, more, more fruit of the Spirit, more the sense of what God is like, yes, I don't rejoice in evil, but I delight in the truth. I get all of that. But what I'm saying is, if I'm walking around upset, frustrated, angry, you know, defeated, in despair, it just shows that I'm not that mature. Maybe I don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. And I've got to look at myself and go, what's the problem here? I'm really not trusting God the way I should. Maybe the problem is because I have an expectation how life should work on this planet. But what I really want is heaven on earth, but I have to recognize something. We don't have heaven on earth, folks. That's something we're moving towards. God's kingdom has begun here, but it's not fully realized yet. And you and I are not perfect yet, and the people around us are not perfect, and sin is contaminating this amazing world that God created, and it's having a negative impact. 
Now, that doesn't mean I just cave into it and say, well, I give up, you know. We just let sin win. But I need to understand that you and, you and I, we don't have that power necessarily to, you know, change everything. Wouldn't it be great if you had a little magic wand and you could just walk around and, you know, there's a person who got a bad attitude, you could do, thunk, good attitude. You know, you just, you just give them a good attitude. You know, you, you know, I could just see every parent saying, I want that wand. You know, this is great for child rearing. Dunk, 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 dunk. Boy, aren't my kids great? You know, we just want everybody to, you know, work the right way, but it doesn't work that way, does it? We recognize that. Our faith must ultimately move towards the end product, which is a loving heart towards other people. And what we think affects our decisions and our actions, and God desires that we stand rather than fall. Do you know God's wisdom, as James describes it, as, as pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, impartial, sincere, and it produces good fruit, and that's what Jesus did. When I look at that list, I go, that's the list I want to be in. You know, I don't want to be grumpy, upset. You know, I'm, I'm looking, as I'm getting a little older, I look around older people, you can only go one of two ways. You're either getting sweet or sour, you know. <laughs> And I know some people say, I like sweet and sour, but no, 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 no. You know, like, you don't want to be a grumpy old person. How many older people are saying, that's true, I don't want to be a grumpy old person. You know, I don't want to be upset all the time, I don't want to be frustrated all the time, I don't want to be irritated all the time. No, you know, I thought about this. You know, I was thinking about Mother Teresa, for example. She goes to India. She could have easily said, you know, these people, are, they're, they're worshiping idols. They don't know who God is. They're living this crazy life. They got a wrong understanding. This is the consequences of it. She doesn't even say any of that. She just goes down to the people who are broken and hurting, and everybody's kind of forgotten, and she starts helping them. She starts picking the dying up and taking them and, and, and washing them and, and showing them dignity and self-respect. What's she doing? She's loving them. Folks, do you know how powerful love is? It's love that changes people. You know, it's not just us telling people what's wrong with them that's gonna change them. You know, people usually resist that. That's been my experience. But love is a, has a way of impacting people. So one of the problems that we're going to encounter in the Christian life is a balance between what God does and what we're responsible for. And sometimes as Christians, we become very passive. And other times as Christians, we think it all depends on us. And I think that both positions are wrong. And what we need to do is learn to understand what is God responsible for and what does he do? And then what am I responsible for and how should I appropriate what God has done in my life. And so Peter now, looking back, he sees what's went wrong with his life, and then he says this, if you do these things, you will never fall. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of like this little text because he's basically saying there's certain things that you and I need to consider so we can stand. And I don't know about you, I'm your pastor, I want you all to stand. I want you all to prevail. I, I, I want when, they, when the evil day comes, I don't have a bunch of you know, saints folding under the pressure, but we're all standing. We've all taken our position. We all have the armor of God. We're all handling this. We're not losing our cool. We recognize that our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's not the prime minister or the premier or the mayor or this person, or it's not my spouse. It's not my kids. Actually, I recognize it's a spiritual battle and I'm fighting with flesh and blood and I've learned how to stand. Isn't that powerful? That's what we need to get to. That's part of growing up. So we're gonna take a look today, we're going to examine two truths that helps us in times of shaking. And you're, you're going to, don't even worry about it. We're not even getting to point two. I ended at the end of point one. So just relax. We just got to get through point one. That's it. 
We're going to take a look at a proper understanding of God's grace and power in our lives. Once we get a hold of that, I think it can really impact how to respond. I'll talk about that next week. So first of all, what does God do for us? What is it that the good news is about? What does Jesus really accomplish for us? Well, we receive his righteousness. And I love how Peter begins this book. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Well, I think when we understand what Jesus has done for us, it changes my whole thinking. And it's changing, it's going to change my behavior. This creates a proper foundation of dependency upon God, which is what humility really is. And I love how Peter starts this out. Notice how Peter begins this letter by describing himself as a servant. And the Greek word there is doulos, and literally it should be translated slave. But the translators move away from that word because most people have a wrong understanding of slavery as it relates to the first century. Because slavery in the first century means you were sometimes a conquered person, but you could have been more educated, and sometimes, like, like for example, the Romans would conquer the Greeks and then make these people be their tutors for their children because the Greeks had a very sophisticated culture. Or they could have had a slave that actually became their household manager, or they ran their businesses. So it's not, it's not the way we kind of think of it. These people sometimes had major responsibilities, but I think when you and I understand is simply, what we need to understand is simply this, that you and I need to have the right attitude towards God, that you and I are slaves. What is a slave? Is someone who doesn't have any right to tell the master what to do, but the master tells the slave what to do. In other words, he sets the agenda. And I think one of the biggest struggles we have as Christians is we keep trying to set our own agendas instead of saying, God, I want your agenda for my life. It's not my will, it's yours that needs to be done. I need to get it in my head. I'm not the owner anymore. I'm, I'm under your authority and I want to do your will. And if I do what you want me to do, I end up living this amazing life that you've promised to me. But so often we're frustrated with life because it's not going the way we want it to. We get all agitated and irritated and we're upset and mad all the time. And I don't want to live like that. And I don't think God wants us to live like that. I think God says, I'm in control of the planet. I know what I'm doing. You just do what I'm asking you to do and don't worry about all this stuff. And if you do what I tell you to do, sometimes you'll be addressing some of the problems that you are out there. It's not that you become irresponsible. I'm not suggesting that. That's not a passive view we're looking at here. But it's getting a right attitude. Peter had the right attitude. Then he goes on to say he's an apostle, which means he's sent out by God. Powerful. In a very amazing way, he's, he's been trained by Jesus. How many would like to be in Bible school with Jesus? And that's a very different Bible school because you're traveling with him and it's not just, you know, writing papers and the rest of it. You're actually doing things with him and miracles are happening around you. How many think that's pretty intense Bible school? I'd be awesome. But, you know, how many times did the teacher have to correct the students? When I'm reading the Gospels, Jesus is constantly correcting these guys. You know, we get all offended today because somebody, you know, we get corrected once in a while. You know, that word offended, by the way, is we get our word scandalized from. Everybody's scandalized today. Everybody's uptight. Everybody's offended. And everybody stays immature and never changes. And by the way, God's committed to change. If you haven't figured that out yet, he wants us to grow up. He's committed to that. Then it says here, I love this statement. He says, uh, 
This faith is based on the righteousness of God as found in Jesus Christ. This righteousness is being in a right relationship or standing before God is imputed or given to us as a gift. How many think that's amazing? Do you know what God's really done for you and me? He, when you and I give our lives to Christ, he gives you his righteousness. He literally makes a, he makes a transfer. He takes on all of my sin and your sin, past, present, and future, and gives us his righteousness, his standing before the Father. Now, if you knew that you were sinless, would you, have, would you have confidence to come in God's presence? How many people feel like if you knew you were sinless, you could probably come into the presence of God? No problem. Of course. Now that doesn't mean we're sinless. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I'm saying in our standing before God, it's just as if we've never sinned. How many think that's amazing? We have been given this amazing standing or relationship with God. We are his sons and daughters. So when God the Father's looking at us, he's not looking at us as you filthy sinner. When the Father is looking at us, he sees Christ in us. Sinless. That's powerful. That changes the whole equation in our relationship with the Father. As a matter of fact, it says, here he goes on to say, we have received faith as precious as ours. Now some commentators say, they were talking about these people that received the same faith as the apostles had. I think that's probably the meaning. But some others argued that, no, it's probably because they have a Jewish background that it's the faith that the Jewish people in, had an understanding in their covenant relationship with God. And I like how Thomas Schreiner brings this out. Not that he agrees at this point, but he says this, and I like it. He says, etched in the mind of every Jew was their special place as God's chosen people. You know, one of the reasons why the Jews have always felt like the outcasts is because they, they've always talked to other people like, we're the chosen people. That annoys people, by the way. You keep telling people you're special, it bugs people. But they knew they were God's chosen people. Now, sometimes that was problematic because if you're God's chosen people, you've got to behave a certain way. Okay? The inclusion of the Gentiles, which are non-Jewish people, on an equal basis was the Jews was stunning to the early Jewish Christians. They, they, you know what? They couldn't get over that. They, they had a hard time believing that God was going to pick Gentiles and just tell them, you're okay now. You're in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. There was a big conflict in the early church over this. As a matter of fact, everybody who was a Gentile, there was a whole group in the church that says, no, you've got to be Jewish first. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to do all the Jewish things first before you can even become a follower of Jesus. But Paul and the other apostles says, no, that's not the way it is. As a matter of fact, no Jewish person could ever keep the law. You're not in a right relationship with God because you're doing everything the law says. You're in a right relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you and for me. Wow. That's so exciting. Some of you are thinking about it. Some are shaking your head. <clears throat> it's going to get better. We should be so awed that we've been given this amazing gift of faith and righteousness. As a matter of fact, Paul says it this way. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you want to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now, I believe everybody's been given faith. Problem is most people have faith in the wrong things. They have faith in other people. They have faith in themselves. They have faith in their abilities. But to have faith in Christ, 
But you know, usually we have faith and we say, well, I've got faith in Christ, I'm saved. Wow, wonderful. But that faith is just a doorway to open up the, the grace of God. And the grace of God is this amazing gift that opens up all kinds of other things in our lives. As a matter of fact, this gift comes from hearing God's word. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. He says, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Do you know what happens when you're hearing the word of God? Something's happening inside of you. If you're a follower of Christ, do you know what, you, what happens is your faith becomes stronger. How many know you, you, you know, a lot of you'll say, well, I went to church today and I feel better. You know, I always notice it when I don't go to church. I've heard, I've heard people say this kind of stuff. Why is that? Because when you're hearing the word of God, something's happening inside of you when you're a believer. Faith is now being strengthened on the inside of you. You're being encouraged. You're being strengthened. You're being, you know, you're, you, you feel like, you know, sometimes you, you know, when I was a brand new Christian, I come out of church, I, I felt like I was flying. I'm going, I can take on the world, man. I was so cranked, so excited. Boy, about three days later, I felt very dissipated and defeated, and I needed another, you know, please get me back to church. I need to hear the word of God again. But I think we can feed our own souls. That's good. But we still need to hear the word of God. And then we read here this experience of God's grace and peace. I think one of the results of this gift of salvation that is through faith as the various elements of grace and peace that flow into our lives. Now, think about those two amazing gifts. Grace means, it, it just means gift. It means something you didn't deserve. When somebody gives you a gift, you didn't earn it. It's a gift. That's what grace means. And then peace. I think we all get what peace is. And yet, I think we're desperately needing God's grace and peace in a world where we're filled with fear, anxiety, and anger. Where is the grace and peace in this world today? And folks, I want to just say this. I want to challenge us as believers today. We are in a time of crisis. People are shaking. People are fearful. People are mad. People are upset. People are demanding their rights. And I'm going, my goodness, we should be the people that are full of hope, full of grace, full of peace. People should look at us and say, man, how can you have this peace in your heart that passes human understanding in light of all that's going on around you? My hope is in Jesus. I have confidence in my God. But you know what we're doing? We're like Peter. We're walking on the water. We're saved. We're, man, we're having a great time. But then we take our eyes off of Jesus. The next thing you know, we're, we're sinking into the water. And the circumstances are overwhelming us. And we become problem-centered when we should be looking up. Jesus said, when all these bad things are happening in Luke's gospel, he says, lift up your heads. Your redemption is drawing close. What does he mean? Our deliverance is coming. Jesus is going to arrive. Folks, aren't you glad that we have a hope that transcends this world? We don't just have to look to humanity for the answers. We have a God who's going to come back and rescue our planet. Thank God for that. That's our hope. It's called the blessed hope. We have this hope inside of us. And we can have a peace. You know the peace, we have a peace, we have the peace with God. That means we have a relationship with him. But then we have the peace of God. You know, peace with God is great. There's a lot of Christians that have the peace with God, but they don't have the peace of God. The peace of God says, I'm at rest. I'm trusting. I have a father I know that loves me. You know, he's not abandoning me. I'm not orphaned. He knows what's going on in my life. He cares about me. I'm just going to rest and trust in him and, and, and seek his face. How, do we, how does this grow in our lives? It comes through knowledge. 
in a time when we've minimized knowledge, you know, we really are experiential now. The whole culture is experiential. We've poo-pooed knowledge because, you know, we go, it doesn't work. But Michael Green, but, you know, I'll just say this. When we don't have a correct understanding of God, we're in trouble. I'll tell you that right now. We need the right knowledge, the knowledge of God. Michael Green says, Peter was writing to people who claimed to have a real knowledge of God and of Christ, but continued in immoral behavior. See, if you have the right knowledge, you won't be in immorality. If you have the right knowledge of God, it changes your behavior. So if your behavior is bad, if you're sinning and continuing into sin, you have a distorted view of who God is. When you get the right understanding, it changes you. We're going to get to that in this, this, these two sermons. Knowledge may have been a catchphrase of theirs, the false teachers, that it infiltrated the church, which he now takes up and fills with authentic Christian content. The true knowledge of God in Christ produces grace and peace in life. The whole New Testament unites in denouncing a profession of faith which makes no difference to behavior. See, the fruit of wrong teaching is always wrong living. R.C. Sproul in his commentary in 2 Peter points out this false teaching was kind of a Gnostic. Or a, Gnosticism means knowledge-based or knowledge-driven. But he said it was probably more pre-Gnostic. But he says Gnostics claim to have a superior type of knowledge above and beyond that possessed by the apostles. A knowledge gained by a direct mystical perception rather than by diligent thinking. Now we have to be careful. I'm going to say this to all of us. This is a warning. You know, if you get something that you think is from God, that's subjective. How do I know it's really from God? It's not just coming out of my own imagination or it's not coming from the enemy that's deceiving me. I have to go back to the word of God. I have to have an objective standard. I've got to take a look because the Holy Spirit is not going to tell you something different than what he's already told us in the scripture. We need to get that in our minds. So if somebody comes to me and says to me, Pastor, I have this, you know, God told me to do this and I, and I listen to it and I go, God would never tell you to do that. And they'll go, what? You see, the word of God says this. This is the standard, folks. We evaluate all of the other stuff based on this. We need to do that. It's a corrective. Throughout this epistle, Peter brings us back to the acquisition of true knowledge, the true gnosis uh, of which is revealed by God and found in this word. Gnosis is that knowledge. Now, I'm going to stop here. I didn't even get as far as I did in the first service, but that's okay. So I want to stop on time here. Why don't we stand this morning? I'm going to just close with these ideas. And, I, and the, maybe the thought that I need to focus on with you in the second service is simply this. Maybe you're struggling. You're going through all kinds of trials and you're saying, you know, Pastor, I feel like my emotions have got the best of me. I feel like I'm not operating in grace. I'm not operating in peace. I'm not operating in love. I'm operating in frustration. I'm operating in despair. I'm operating in anger. Let's be realistic. You see, if you are really trusting God, you're going to have a certain type of behavior. And I'm going to keep talking along this line because I think this is so critical right now. Because my prayer as your pastor is that you'll, you'll be strong. That you'll keep growing. That you'll be able to stand and not falter and fail and stumble and bumble along. And you're going to get strong in your innermost being. You're going to walk in wisdom and understanding. You're going to be able to discern the good from what is not good. 
You're going to be able to, you know, have a filter in your system that the stuff that's coming at you, you're going to be able to say, yeah, that's not right. No, that's not healthy. No, that's not what I'm going to do. This is where I'm standing. My prayer for you this morning is that you're going to say, you know what, when it really gets all down to it, I need to focus on that which is eternal. Because everything that you see is going to be shaken. And everything that you are going after, if it's not what God has for you and it's not, you know, healthy for you and for others, he's going to strip it away. I can guarantee he's going to rip it right away from you. So you and I need to make a decision. Because when I finished the first service, I talked about we have a choice. The only people who have a choice are Christians. We're either a slave to God or a slave to sin. It's real simple. And you're somebody's slave. And one leads to life and one leads to death. And you have a choice. So how many here with heads bowed just say, you know what? The Spirit of God is speaking to me today. I have to admit, I feel like my life is a little imbalanced, Pastor. I feel like I've been really rattled in the last little while here. And I can see it emotionally and I can see it in my, in, not only just in my emotions, but even in my priorities. And I, I, I just need God to help just grab a hold of me, give me a hug right now, and tell me, hey, it's going to be okay. We're going to get through this. Maybe that's you here today. I believe that you are under tremendous attack. That's you today. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you right now. You need God to come alongside right now, pick you up, hold on to you, and help you to be finding that safe place with Him, that place where you can stand on that rock and not be tossed to and fro, back and forth, by all kinds of information that's rattling your cage but that you're going to just stay strong. So, Father, I just pray today that you would do this amazing work of grace, that you would give the peace, not only the peace with you, that we're in a relationship with you, but the the peace that you have. It's all under your control today, that you're here for us. You're not against us. And I just pray right now that we would find that beautiful place of of tranquility and peace and stability in our life because we know that you have it under control. And I pray, Father, that you will help us in the days to come to grow in our understanding of who you are and then understand how we need to live this life because we have a correct understanding of who you are. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.